What's going on, everybody? Luke Legrano here from Believe in Hockey Prospects. Happy holidays. I hope you all had the chance to spend some time with your families and your loved ones. Jess and I are spending some time with our families right now, but we did not want to leave you empty-handed. So in the spirit of the holiday season, where you spend time with your favorite people, we decided to get together with some of our favorite people before the start of the World Juniors Tournament to talk about the teams and what we expect to see. Happy holidays, enjoy the tournament, and we look forward to coming back in 2021. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Believe in Hockey Prospects. My name is Luke Legrano. And I'm Jess Rubersi, and I want to thank you for spending your time with us. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. The NBA season is officially back in business, and you know what that means. Bet Online is giving you the opportunity to win some money while you watch. And just like the preseason, Bet Online is offering spreads, money lines, and player props on every game played this season. But whether it's any game this NBA season, upcoming games in the NFL, or any other sport, Bet Online has you covered. So head on over to betonline.ag and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag. Sign up today. This is Believe in Hockey Prospects, the show all about discussing the future stars in the game of hockey. We believe in the future. Do you believe? This is our holiday special episode. Jess, I couldn't be more thankful than I'm spending it with you. We've had so many great adventures with this show up and down, and finally, we're almost to the end of the year. It's really hard to build a show from, you know, the ground up. I'm really thankful that uh, I've gotten to meet you and work with you. And you've been one hell of a teacher carrying this old man, you know, <laughs> kicking and screaming into the modern age. Well, Jess, I've also learned a lot from you and a lot from other people that we've had on the show. And I think that's what's going to make this holiday special so great is we've brought some of our friends to help discuss the World Junior Tournament here with us. Before we get into this, I want to give Luke some credit here. I mean, he surprised me and he got us three... Not just good guests. He got us three pretty damn good guests, and he did it on his own. Hey, Luke, pat yourself on the back, because I think our audience is really going to like what you did this week. Jess, I've always considered myself a pretty good gift giver. I'm happy that my title holds up with you. But let's not wait any further. The first team up on our schedule is Team Canada, the favorite of the tournament. And who better to talk about them than our first guest? So let's get right on to it. Our first guest is joining us now, so without further ado from Draft Pro Hockey, Mr. Jared Brown. Jared, happy holidays. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for uh, having me on. Happy holidays to you too, Luke. All right, so I wanted to start off and ask you the big question. I checked the sports book this morning, and it looks like Canada is the clear favorite to win the group and almost a lock to leave the tournament with a medal. What is it that you see in this team that makes it so good? Well, I think... The 21st round picks is uh, the part that makes it seem like they're so good. I mean, uh, having that many first round picks is unheard of on an international squad. The fact that they were able to get all of them compiled on the team is pretty remarkable. I think that's what's going to make them really hard to handle. I mean, they're going to run four lines, essentially guys who are slotted to become at least top six forwards in the NHL. They were drafted because of their skill, and you're going to have guys that like I think Byfield is going to be maybe playing third, fourth line as a guy who went second overall in the, the past draft and him playing fourth line minutes. It seems like it's unheard of, but at the same time, there's not a lot of other guys you would maybe want to put lower in the lineup. 
So I think that's what makes them so deadly this year, and we'll see how it pans out. So looking at some of the other teams, obviously Team Russia has guys playing in the KHL. Team USA has guys playing in the NCAA. A lot of the CHL leagues have either stopped and started or haven't even begun yet. We just got word that the OHL is pushing back to the start of the season. Do you think that's going to hurt Team Canada at all? I think so. There's only so much training and practicing you can do. Uh, without actual game time and everyone knows you know you're playing even junior pro like the OHL it's different it's a different feel from when you recover from an injury and you pop back in your first two games after coming back from an injury you're not the same you're still feeling out the body part that you injured you're still getting back into game shape so for a lot of these guys they need to get back into game shape for some of the guys who maybe have been uh I don't know if there's really anyone who's been NCAA I don't know if Alex Newhook's been actually playing but He's one that you would maybe rely on more, but I think it's a disadvantage. But at the same time, you do your preparations and hopefully you're in game shape that way. Let's start to look at the Team Canada roster as stacked as it is. Who are a couple guys that you think could be the MVP of this team and who are a couple guys you think could surprise everyone by the end? I mean, the obvious answer uh, for me, I mean, yeah, it's Kirby Doc at front. It's Bowen Byram on the back end. I think one for me is Connor McMichael. I expect him to play high up in the lineup and I expect him to probably have a hot start to the tournament. Once he has the hot start to the tournament, then you're going to see him solidify himself in the top six role. He's not going to be pushed down anymore if that's the case. I, I really like him as a potential kind of like sneaker MVP candidate other than obviously the obvious ones. Uh, another one that I think will surprise a lot of people, probably Justin Barron. You know, he was rated as a maybe a top 15 pick maybe two years before his draft year, which was this October. And the unfortunate injury that held him back with the blood clots, you know, it was unfortunate. But this is another thing. He's actually been playing in the queue right now. Like he's had a few games. So he, you could say maybe he's in game shape. Hopefully he is. So he could be a guy that I don't think he'll be an MVP candidate, but you could say he could be maybe top three, top two on uh, the, the Team Canada roster. Long list of final cuts for Team Canada before naming the final roster. Seth Jarvis, Maverick Bork, Sam Poulin, Ryan O'Rourke, Lucas Cormier. Any of those guys you think should have made the team that didn't? Well, personally, I think Shane Wright should have made the team, even though he's 16. Everyone knew he probably wasn't going to make it. I mean, that was a long shot. I was surprised with Samuel Poulin. I mean, he's been regarded as someone who can maybe make the Penguins out of training camp. And I was kind of surprised he was left off the team. I thought he would have made it before someone like Connor Zari or even Jack Quinn. Just he's got a little bit more experience. He's one year older. He's a little bit tougher too. I mean, Poulin is just a mean guy who's going to play that intense hockey. Not to say Jack Quinn or Connor Zari can't. It's just that Samuel Poulin kind of fits that role a little bit better. But I was a little surprised that he got put in a little bit more. And frankly, I actually wish I, uh, he was in the tournament. I would, I'm a big fan of him. So the pool of teams playing in World Juniors, as small as it is, and people are already starting to count out teams like Austria, the Czech Republic, Germany, Slovakia. What's it going to take to beat Team Canada, and is it even possible? Well, it's their goaltending. That's what's going to be probably their downfall. I mean, you have three goalies, one that, you know, he went undrafted two years in a row, and the other two that were just drafted. They're not the biggest goalies, all three of them. I think that is their weakest spot, and it's the biggest question mark for Team Canada. Devin Levi is getting the start, head coach for Team Canada. He said he's probably going to ride Levi the entire game unless something changes, so... Maybe he's going to be the number one guy. I know Taylor Gauthier, he's full of confidence, and he says he's the guy for Team Canada this year. But at the end of the day, if Team Canada is to not even medal, 
I would say it comes down to maybe their goaltending didn't hold up. I mean, they have everything else. Their foundation, their defense is stacked, their offense is stacked. You would think their special team units will light it up, even their penalty kill. So goaltending is a big question mark for me, and that's where these pre-tournament games are going to really help them. Well, we know how great Team Canada is going to be, but one more question before I let you go here. Any bold predictions for the tournament? Maybe a bold one. I don't know how bold it is, but I think Finland wins gold. All right, that's pretty bold. Yeah, I think right now it seems like Canada's favorite and, and USA's favorite. Finland's got a great goalie and Joel Blunkfist. He can really stop them. Their defense is pretty solid. I mean, their defense, I would actually rate, rate with Team Canada, to be honest. Maybe not as good, but they got a lot of good options on their decor and a lot of balance throughout that. I think, do they have enough offense? Obviously, leaving out top prospect Atu Ratti, you know, that was huge for Finland, but I think their offense will be okay. And Finland's just one of those sneaky teams. I mean, they play you hard, and uh, that would be my surprise. <laughs> That's all I can ask for out of you. Jared Brown from Draft Pro Hockey. Jared, thank you so much for joining us here. We love having you on the show. Uh, happy holidays to you, and uh, hope you stay safe. Yeah, thanks for having me on. You stay safe as well, Luke. Always a pleasure to have Jared join us here, especially this time of year to discuss Team Canada. But it's time to discuss another big powerhouse in this tournament, and that's USA Hockey. And lucky for us, we have just the guy to talk about it with. So let's not wait another second and get on with our next guest. And now here with us to discuss Team USA, we're joined by the incredible Greg Cameron from College Hockey News. Greg, happy holidays. Thank you for joining us. Oh, wow. Thank you for having me and calling me incredible and happy holidays to you guys, too. (laughs) I've never heard that word used about me. I think you stunned him, Luke. It's been a crazy day. I got to be in a media scrum with uh, Team USA's Matthew uh, Bernier from your neck of the woods in, uh, I think it's Higginson, Massachusetts. What a nice kid. Hingham, yeah. He ran a uh, little camp for his his neighbors and stuff during the height of the quarantine so he'd just have some kids over at his house from what it sounded like and that he'd run them through drills he seems like a really great kid on and off the ice this kid he's played one exhibition game and he can't do no wrong with me i love this kid now he's looked good at michigan as well and you know unfortunately uh that's harvard's loss there but when he was named to this roster, it was a no-brainer, right? But I was wondering whether he would end up being a center or not because of some of the guys that were invited to that mini camp at the beginning. And the way things turned out, I think he was going to be a center all along. But he's looked really good on draws so far in college games. He's looked really confident playing both ways, which is something that Michigan definitely needs to clean up on if they're going to have more success in the Big Ten down the stretch, but it's by no means something that would prohibit them from winning the conference. He's been a big reason why that team is where it is, and he's going to be a big reason why the World Junior team is going to be is going to be a big factor in this tournament. Well, Greg, let's talk about the talent on Team USA. And over at College Hockey News, I feel like you guys know everything you can possibly know about the college scene. And this Team USA team only has three players on it, not from the NCAA. So that's a great look from College Hockey to start. But who are some of your favorites that made the team? I think I got to start with Spencer Knight. That's probably an obvious one. But Spencer Knight, of course, of Boston College, Eagle, Florida first rounder last year. And probably the Mike Richter Award front runner if not one of the front runners at this point for the NCAA's best goalie. He's really sound. He ended the first half of the season with two shutouts before he left to go to the U.S. camp. Proved last year that he's one of the better goalies coming into 
this year's tournament. And I think the way that Team USA is built around him defensively, he's going to be even better this year. His teammate on defense, Drew Hellison, another Boston College Eagle. He's a guy that has looked really, really good so far in BC games. He's played almost half of each game that they've played because they're a little shorthanded on defense at BC right now, but it's not been an issue for him. He's a second rounder for Colorado. He and Cam York, I think, are the two guys on the on the back end that are going to log the most minutes here. Cam York, Michigan, sophomore, Philly first rounder. He's been pretty much the best defenseman in the in the Big Ten, I think. Now that he gets to be one of the returners back for this team on the world stage, he's going to have a big role to play in the scoring. I don't think he'll so much get a lot of the defensive assignments that maybe Jake Sanderson or Jackson Lacombe's going to get, but I think he's going to be a catalyst on the power play. He'll probably be one of the big drivers of the offense. So then what's the weak areas for Team USA? If there's a weak area, I guess it would be the forwards, but that's partially because of some of the stuff that happened in, in minicamp and some of the depth that they've had in previous seasons. A lot of guys on this forward group haven't played this year. Brett Berard's one of them. Two guys that made the jump from college to pro over the summer, Alex Turcott, Trevor Zegras, two guys that I'm really interested to see how they respond in that first game. I think that they're probably going to need to shake the rust off a little bit, some of the wings just aren't as spectacular as they are in, in years prior. When you go beyond the top six, go beyond guys like Kaliev, guys like Cole Caulfield. So if there's one weakness, I would say it's the forwards, but I don't think it's a glaring weakness at all. Coaches can iron out in the early going of the tournament here. For Team USA, they've got Russia. They've got to play Sweden. They might have a good team, but they still would be hard-pressed to finish two or three in this division. I mean... Russia's really looking good. Canada's kind of like got a that's a hop, skip, and a jump into the medal round at number one. I agree with you there. They got lucky getting drawn into Group A there, and Group B definitely looks harder. I agree about Russia being one of the favorites, but I think that USA could comfortably be two or three, probably two in that group, just based on some of the guys that Sweden has lost due to the coronavirus heading in here. I don't know as much about Sweden or Russia, but I do know that defensively, this is probably one of the better Team USA groups that they've had in a while. I wouldn't say that that was so much of an issue last year for them either, but when, you, when you're in a group with Canada, when you're in a group with Russia like they were last year, you're going to need to score a lot. I don't think it's going to be as much a defensive game as it is an offensive game. They ended up either first or second for most goals scored in their group last year, and then they get bounced in the first round. So it just goes to show you the, the value that was placed on the defensive side this year. I think everyone on the defensive side can contribute. And even if they didn't mean to bring nine defensemen into this tournament, I, I think it's going to end up being a big difference for them. Team USA has not been exempt from COVID drama coming into this tournament. Johnny Beecher tested positive for COVID. That sent him and Thomas Bordola home. Boston University had a COVID exposure. They had to send three people home. And we talked about how stacked this Pool B is between USA, Russia, Sweden, the Czech Republic. Between the roster and the pool and with how the seating is going to get all crazy when this playoff starts, do you expect to see Team USA comfortably get a medal? Comfortably is not a word I would use, especially based on last year. But I, I think that there's a better path to it this year than 
there have been in previous years. The thing with this group that's going to be hard is the 13 forwards, I think, is a little bit of a disadvantage for Team USA. If they want one of those top two seeds coming out of Group B, they're going to need to light it up quickly. I don't see that happening in the first game against Russia, just based on the fact that it's going to be a goaltender's battle between Askarov and Spencer Knight. As it goes on, I I think they'll get their legs underneath them. Once they start scoring a lot more, it's going to be a different story. And if they get one of those top two seeds, they're going to get presumably not Canada or Finland out of Group A in the first round of the knockout round. So that bodes well for them getting to where they need to be in terms of reaching the podium again. Greg, you might know the answer to this. I'm assuming just based on the world that we live in, when this tournament is over, those players will have to quarantine before rejoining their college teams, which means more time away than already expected. Is there a school that you think will suffer the most from having their guys miss additional time after the tournament? I would have to say Michigan, just based on some of the guys that they were missing before, but I don't believe that if they did make it out of the gold medal game in the third place game, which is January 5th, if I'm not mistaken, I don't believe that they would miss too much time. They might miss one series, but I'm not 100% sure. I know Minnesota, which has three of its best defensemen in this USA group, starts right on January 1st. And I think that's probably the next team I'd choose. Just one of the Big Ten teams in general. They sent a lot of talent to World Juniors this year. And I do think it looks good for USA in terms of meddling. I just think, like I said earlier, it's not going to be easy, maybe, as, as a lot of people think. So we'll see what happens exactly with the return. You have to test negative three straight times before you can rejoin practice. And that isn't over a certain time frame. I assume everyone's going to try and get those guys back within the three days outside of that i can't say exactly what the big 10 is doing in terms of its guys that are returning from world juniors the big 10 is fortunate they've only had one series postponed it bodes well that those teams have had such success combating the virus and playing you know 8 10 12 games to this point they're sort of in a groove and for a team like michigan i don't know that they're going to necessarily be missing those guys so much the last series that they played before the end of the first half of the season was against minnesota and minnesota is the top team in the country right now they were both missing all the guys that are on this roster combined between the two and it showed why minnesota is the number one team in the country but they start the weekend that immediately follows the medals and i think if michigan isn't able to test those kids and get them out in time for that series maybe that's one where it gets them. Their opponent's Michigan State, too. Michigan State has a really hot goaltender, Drew DeRitter. He's a NTDP product. So I think that would probably be what I go with there is Michigan. Since we are talking college now, which conference do you think has done the best job protecting their players and not postponing games? I mean, I'm inclined to say the national conference because that little bubble that they put their teams in, that was a huge success. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm going with, too, is the NCHC. It's not really a surprise that they've had all the success, too. They're a really well-run conference, and all the member schools, top to bottom, bought in immediately to that concept. And when that first came up, too, I was like, oh, there's no, there's no way that could be a 
thing in college hockey, right? Like that would have to be a thing for the bigger sports. But it worked. Yeah, exactly. It worked. They had enough money from the years past to pull it off and without fans too, which was probably one of the bigger ways they might have been able to get a revenue stream for such an endeavor, but they decided to not do that. And that ended up working in their favor. I think the entire hockey world probably had an eye on what was going on there. I know a lot of pro players tuned in. I know a lot of people from the Canadian regions probably ended up having to watch a lot of these games, a lot of Canadian connections on these teams too. They're teams that are close to the border, the teams that get some of the Canadian talents on their teams. So it was a rousing success. And I have a feeling that there won't be as many issues when they go back to a real world schedule, quote unquote, but that will be to be determined here as the new year comes upon us. I think they're set up for success. It's just a matter of finishing it. The best thing about all this, I think the NCAA tournament threshold for games played this year is 13. So you need a minimum of 13 games to be considered. All these teams have eight to 10 games now. So you've already given them enough of a boost of enough of a kickstart to get these teams in. We talked to Commissioner Josh Fenton after the pod ended in a press conference, and he said he believes that since the pairwise is ineffective this year in college, which is generally the system, the mathematical system that's used to select the at-large bids, after each conference gets its auto bid for its tournament champion into the tournament, that there should be a historical context for selecting the other teams and the NCHC has had a lot of teams go to the national tournament in the last few years, usually around four or five on, on good years. That's half of their league based on what they've shown in, in the pod, half their league probably could make the tournament this year. They've looked really good playing against each other, but it's just so tough to tell that they're not going to be playing non-conference regardless. They definitely are the ones that are handling this. Well, no cancellations, postponements as of yet, only conference in the league to do that. I've only got one more question for you. Do you have any bold predictions for us for this tournament? Ooh, bold prediction. Um, my bold prediction, I'm going to go with John Farinacci as the top USA scorer in this tournament. If you're wondering why I've gone with that, it's because, I mean, I don't think I can pick Caulfield and call that bold. I don't think picking a guy like Trevor Zegras, who's basically a pro now, is a bold statement there. I think guys like Ben Ears are going to be a, a bigger contributor on the defensive side, being being a two-way guy like he is, guys like Patrick Moynihan and that. So the reason I landed on Farinacci, he's another high pick. He's a third rounder to Arizona. I thought when he first got to Harvard last year and started playing with them that I thought he was lacking in parts of his game. But then once I saw him work at it, develop more towards the end of the season, he was taking some of the top center minutes when they lost Casey Dornback, who's their top center. He really rounded out his game a lot better. I think he's going to be a guy that you're probably going to put between maybe a Bobby Brink, a Sam Colangelo, someone who's really a good puck hawk, and he's just going to make them better. He's played this year with USHL Muskegon, and from the couple times I've seen them, he's looked really good. And I think that's something that the Coyotes are also noticing too. I thought his first camp with them was a little lackluster, but now that he's looking like this, now that he's gone back to what we know his game to be, it's going to be promising for them. He's over point per game with Muskegon, and he's got his college coach as an assistant, Ted Donato. I think that's going to be something that comes into play when it comes time to get into the knockout round. 
Greg, thank you so much for, for joining us here today. We loved having you. We hope we can have you on again after this tournament's over and a little bit down the line. But happy holidays, man. Thank you so much again for taking the time to be with us. Yeah, of course, guys. Thank you for having me. Thank you for thinking of me. And happy holidays to you as well. Let's uh, hope for a, a successful tournament here, whether it's you know rooting for Team USA or just rooting for everyone to make out of this healthy and continue to get hockey games in this uncertain time. Always fun to have a guy like Greg or anyone from College Hockey News on this show. We love the work that they put out. But it's time to discuss the rest of the teams in the WJC. And I think I know just the guy who's ready to talk all about it. So let's get right on with it. And to close out our guest list, we have none other than good friend of the show, the draft analyst, Steve Corianos. Steve, happy holidays. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks, guys. Happy holidays. Thank you for joining us, Steve. Let's start off real quick. What can we tell the fans what to look for? I mean, it's going to be, uh, it's a little different. They switched up the format. Well, first of all, there are going to be no fans. That's the biggest change. But the group play is not going to create the staggered A versus B in the playoff round. So you're going to have a one through eight seeding. There's no relegation round, right? They got rid of the last two place teams. So uh, it's one through eight. We're going to advance to the medal round. Group B is the tougher group because it has Russia, Sweden, the U.S., and the Czechs, whereas the Canadian group only has Finland. In terms of traditional hockey powers, you don't have a whole lot of draft prospects, notable draft prospects like we've seen in years past. There's not going to be a one versus two debate. If there is one, they'll create it out of thin air because there's no consensus number one pick for this year's draft to begin with. And uh, even the couple of kids that we had in mind, they either weren't invited to play or they're going to be there and they're not considered first overall pick potential. So it's Canada's tournament to lose, in my opinion. But uh, I think this tournament in particular is going to have really quality goaltending. I think two of the last first round pick goalies are going to be there. And then the third one, if you count Wolstead from Sweden, will be a first round pick this year. So, you know, it's going to probably be low scoring. I've got mostly Canadian refs, only Canadian refs doing the games because they're only playing at Edmonton and because of the travel restrictions. So because you have Canadian based referees that do major junior, uh, the WHL, the Quebec league, even though they've probably been told to call the games by the book or the IIHF book, I think you're going to see them play more and you're not going to see the ticky-tack fouls that we're used to seeing, you know, 15 calls made the gold medal game. That's ridiculous. I don't think you'll see that this year. Steve, we've already talked about Team Canada and Team USA, and you're a very worldly guy. I think you've talked to me more about international prospects in the short time that I've known you than in my 10 years of following hockey. Do you have like a power rankings for the other teams in this tournament? Which of the teams the same tier as USA and Canada? Which teams are sort of middle of the pack? And who's that bottom tier that's going to need some help if they want to succeed? Well, I think that the top tier really begins and ends with Russia. I think Russia is in a separate tier. They have the best goalie in the tournament, Naskarov. They probably have the best two-way forward group in the tournament, although Canada is pretty close to that. And, and they have a new coach. So they usually have this guy bragging who's uh, been coaching them for years. And he's like this mean, surly guy. And the guys hate playing for him. And he kind of rules with an iron fist. Well, they got rid of him. He's coaching Ska now, I think, in the KHL. And so they replaced him with Igor Larionov. And Igor Larionov from the KLM line, the Russian five. I think he's a Hall of Famer. He's from his Russian play. He should be, at least. He's like a nicer guy. He's got like a more of a kind of gentler approach. And apparently the players are really taken to that. So I think you'll see the Russians perform actually better than what you think they do on paper. And they pose the biggest threat to Canada. Sweden, they're pretty good as well. They got excellent goaltending, probably the best defense core in the entire tournament. They have, I think, five or four first round picks. 
and they're good ones. Bjorn Fott and Broberg and Soderstrom. And then they have Amy Alandre and a couple of guys in Victor Hedstrom and Albert Johansson. Really good defense group and goaltending. Any of the Swedish goaltenders, Klang, Wallstead, or Hugo Alnefeld, who's a Tampa prospect, they'd be a number one on most teams in this tournament. But they, they lack the center depth. They really don't have any elite centers. They were supposed to have Carl Henriksen, the Ranger draft pick, but he got COVID. And so he had to be uh, taken out of the tournament. And so because of that, you're going to have a lot of the work's going to have to be done by the wings. The guys like Lucas Raymond, Alexander Holtz, Noel Gunler, they can do that. But still, not having elite center depth, probably going to hurt them. Finns are Finns. They play a tight checking game. They have good goaltending, good defense, uh, core mobile playmakers, heady two-way guys. But they don't have that one guy. Maybe if you want to say Anton Lundell is their go-to guy on offense. But they just don't have the firepower that some of the other programs have. And then the Czechs, similar to the Swedes, where their strength is in goal. They have the duo of Lucas Barak and Jan Bednar. Outstanding defense core. Two WHL guys in Kubacek and Kucherik. They have the kid Sposal, who's going to be a top pick or first-round pick in 2021. They got Martin Hugo Haas and the Black Oaks draft pick. I forgot his name. Crudel. They probably have pound for pound the most underrated defense core, but they, they might be lacking in, in uh, firepower up front. And then the rest of the teams, I mean, the Swiss, the Austrians, the Slovaks, the Austrians, it's going to probably be fighting for those last two spots and the other two uh, will be knocked out. But the one thing to consider is I think each of those bottom teams, they don't, won't have the pressure of relegation. And the way that relegation works is the team that wins the Division One A title, which is a tournament that takes place two weeks before the World Juniors, that's the, the team that will bump up to the next division and the team that gets relegated in a division, the main division tournament, they get bumped down. Well, that's not going to happen this year because they had to cancel the D1A tournament. So Austria, Germany, Slovakia, they're all going to return in 2022. So maybe not having that kind of pressure will help to play. I don't know. We'll see. Steve, North Americans have not gotten to play, if any, but the Swedes and all the other Europeans have been playing for most of the season. Will that affect how this tournament goes? On paper, I would say yes, but at the same time, there's two things to consider. Number one, that the tournament is in North America, so these kids didn't have to travel all that much. And they've been able to have on-ice practices, even though with all the COVID stuff going on, like the poor Germans, they haven't been able to play on the ice. They've been all uh, quarantined. They've been doing whatever exercise they could in the hotel rooms. I mean, you, that's not the same as on ice. Travel and still being in North America is, is the first thing that's going to help them. The second thing that's going to help both Canada and the uh, United States is that these kids have played with one another for, for years. I mean, whether it be in Hockey Canada and all the tournaments at the Ivan Halinka or previous World Juniors, both Canada and Team USA uh, having returnees from last year's squads. And of course, Team USA is the NTDP. I mean, these kids have been playing with one another for like three, four, five years. So once they get back on the ice, and we saw that with Team USA last night, guys like Matt Boldy. And remember, the, the colleges are playing as well. And most of Team USA are college kids. So I think the Canadian major junior kids uh, have a, a slight disadvantage. But then again, the familiarity is there. They didn't have to travel much. And they've been playing and scrimmaging on ice like crazy. Maybe on paper it might sound like they have an advantage, but I don't think it's much. I wanted to ask you about Team Germany, Steve. There have been a couple big controversies, but the biggest one has been the COVID scares. Team Germany has eight players with COVID. Team Sweden has had four staff members with COVID. One of them is their head coach. They needed to get a new one so they could have a head coach at juniors. The sports books are killing Germany right now. They are not favored by any means necessary to win a game. How much does this affect them, especially being quarantined up until Christmas Eve, not being able to have a game played until the tournament begins? 
Well, they were already shorthanded to begin with because they weren't going to have more exciting. And he was their number one defenseman. The Germans were the team that won the D1A tournament two years ago to earn last year's berth. And they avoided relegation by beating Kazakhstan. So heading into this year, they were already considered to be one of the bottom teams anyway. Now you're not going to have more insider. And then, oh, by the way, Lucas Reichel gets COVID. So he's one of your top players, you know, first round pick. And so then they had to scramble to get all these kids from the German leagues. So, yeah, it's going to be rough for them. They do have Tim Stutzler. They have J.J. Paterka. They have a pretty good defenseman, or two defensemen in uh, Simon Nip and Glotzel, the other kid. And then a couple of centers, uh, Florian Elias. They actually have some guys to keep an eye out for. And obviously Stutzler is the main kid, you know, third overall pick in the draft. But it's going to be rough. And they're not in the death group, though. They're in the lighter group. So they play Slovakia and they play the Swiss. So maybe they could pull one or two out. But, yeah, you know, the lack of goaltending, the lack of a stopper on defense, it's going to hurt them and expect some pretty crooked numbers on the scoreboard when they play the big teams. Steve, let's switch gears here real quick. Talking about your job scouting and preparing for the 2021 draft. The OHL joined the WHL today by postponing their league. I, I think it's significant. It's not fair because I, I know personally, I can't speak for other people how they do their rankings. I keep an eye on on some of them and they have their systems. I have mine. What I actually am going to do this year is I'm going to actually do two separate rankings. I'm going to do an OHL and WHL one based on last year and based on whatever tournaments I've been able to see. A couple of the top kids have already gone to play in Europe, guys like Carson Lambos. So you could kind of get an idea. But uh, I just don't think it's fair to say that OHL kid like Brad Clark or WHL kid like Dylan Gunther can be assessed versus the kids that have been playing. If I run just one ranking, I run the risk of getting married to the, the kids that are playing and get biased towards them and then never being able to move them. Because let's say if I go and I rank Brad Clark 15th overall when he should be a top five pick, and then little by little, I fall in love with all these kids that have been playing while he comes up and plays and maybe slow out of the gate because he's rust, I'm inclined to maybe drop him even more. Again, I just don't think it's fair. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to split my rankings, which I don't want to do, but I kind of have to, to be fair to the kids. If you do an early season ranking, it's very easy to get married or anchored to those early season rankings. We saw that with Noel Gunler last year, where so many people did not want to drop him. They, they felt as he was sky high through the roof, potentially he didn't have a good season. And he ended up going like in the second round. So, you know, I don't want to do that this year. I don't want to get stuck to kids and punish the kids that haven't played. It's not fair. Steve, before we let you go, any bold predictions for the tournament? I don't know if it's going to be a bold prediction. I I think the Canadians will win. I think it'll be close. They'll have to run the gauntlet of uh, some really tough goaltenders in the medal round to get there. And I think the gold medal game is going to be a dogfight. But uh, I think if I'm going to pick one team that's going to surprise people, I'm going to maybe say the Czechs. I think the Czechs this year finally find a way to just be that team that pulls off at least two upsets. I know last year they beat Russia, but I think the Czechs, they, they, they have options. If the, whichever goalie they pick stinks in the first or second game, they have options to take over for that goalie. And I love that defense core, man. It's really underrated. And the key thing for them is to stay out of the box. Maybe Jan Mishak could have an explosive tournament, the one that we've been waiting for. But other than that, I think you're going to see the, the same teams. You'll see the Swedes, the Americans, the Russians and the Canadians. I don't know if Finland has enough in the tank this year to challenge for a medal, so uh, we'll see. Well, Steve, I asked for a couple different things for Christmas, but I think the best present of all is watching your brain go to work. We love having you on the show. Happy holidays to you and your family, Steve. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Steve. It's awesome. Really appreciate it, and uh, love to be on again. Oh, believe me, you always have an open invitation. All right, guys, take care.
So those were our guests, Jared Brown from Draft Pro Hockey, Greg Cameron from College Hockey News, and the draft analyst Steve Corianos, all with a bold take of their own. Jared says watch out for Team Finland. Greg says watch out for Farinacci. And Steve said don't sleep on the Czech Republic. And Jess, I think it's time for some bold predictions of our own. I got a chance to talk with Matthew Branier of Team US. He's a freshman at University of Michigan. He was supposed to go to Harvard. One of the things that stuck to me was the maturity that this young man, who's barely 18 years old, what got me is uh, all these guys that played last year on Team USA, they didn't like the way the tournament ended. They didn't like that first round elimination. A lot of them got together during the off season. And this is what Beignet said, is they were spent a lot of time together working out. And it was the older guys like Cofield and Spencer Knight. These guys, they all... They worked out with the younger guys like Benier and Briard. The words, they were talking to them. They kept talking to the kids. So these kids are coming to come. I see Team USA coming in with something to prove. I think because they're starting with Team Russia, which is probably an insane way to start a tournament on Christmas Day, that's nothing but helpful for this team. Even if they lose this game, I see it as a way of these guys are going to learn really quickly how much work they have to put in. So I do like Beignet. He doesn't have flash. He's not a wow player. I mean, that's what you ask anybody who scouts him. They're going to tell you he doesn't do the wow factor, but he does do 200 feet. And in this tournament, 200 feet is a difference between meddling or going home empty-handed. I like Team USA. Call me crazy. Call me biased because I'm an American, and I got two New York Ranger prospects on this team. But watch out for Brett Beard, who has been compared to Martin Saint-Louis by his own little teammate and best friend, Matthew Beignet. And you will see a team that just might surprise everybody. USA gold, Canada silver, Russia bronze. So Jess's bold prediction is USA, Canada, Russia Jess, I'm going to switch it up a little bit on you there because my bold prediction, and this one's bold, don't get me wrong, I don't think Canada plays in the gold medal game. With the seeding going on this year, we're bound to see something wacky. I think the seeding is going to be all messed up. I think Canada is going to see a team in the semifinals that they are going to rest on their laurels, a team like Sweden, a team like Finland, Czech Republic. Who knows who they're going to play with the way the seeding will play out. But I think Canada is going to take it easy, and I think that... They're going to play a very close game and not come out on the other side. So I think Canada will be the bronze medal team. It's my bold prediction. Uh, people in Canada, please, I want to be real frank right here. It was Luke who made that prediction, <laughs> not me. So I can still come into your country. Luke, he lives in New York. Don't let him in. Give you credit, Luke. That is bold. And that's what we do the show, right? That's and that's what odd. we're here for. 37 episodes later, we didn't get here by being boring. But... That is going to do it for our holiday special. Be sure to like this episode. Follow us on Twitter at the Prospect Park for Jess, at Luke Legrano for myself. If you liked this episode, be sure to rate us five stars on iTunes and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to the last 2020 episode of Believe in Hockey Prospects. My name is Luke Legrano. I'm Jess Rubenstein. Let's hope 2021 is a much better year. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us. We hope to see you next year. Take care.